tonight is going to be um, sort of, well, to put it simply, this is probably the most, this one in tomorrow or next week's is the most important lesson I will do the whole summer um, for you guys. This is a two-part series we're going to be doing. Because the last time we were together, we talked about salvation, that salvation is not changed. There's still only one way to come to God. You can't make up your own way. People cannot come up with their own ways. You got to come to God his way. And there's only one way. But we are also, as we talked about last week, we are saved by faith. Now, in that, as we're going to learn tonight, there's different types of faith. And I'm going to ask you a very serious question tonight. We won't, we won't be able to finish this, but it's a very serious question. And it is this. Is your faith real? Is your faith real? That's where we're going to start tonight. We won't be able to finish this because there's no way I could do this in just one, like, 35-minute thing. There's just no way I could finish it in that. So it's going to be a two-part series. If you are not going to be here next week. These are being recorded. They will appear on Fort's website. They, they do that. And you can pick up the second part from that. Or for those of you who are listening on the internet right now, there, this follows, um, the one follows after this is part two of this. And this is a very serious topic tonight. And I'm going to challenge some of you tonight. But as we get started on this, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that the Holy Spirit do the teaching. Father, we thank you for this remarkably beautiful day that you have given us. Cool temperature, low humidity, sunny, absolutely gorgeous. And being here in the North Woods surrounded not by a lot of man-made structures, but by things made by your hands, it is so much easier for us to feel your presence and to, to know that you are there. And so, Lord, tonight as we now take this next half hour and explore in your word, in this time of very serious worship as we study what you have told us and then assimilate it, apply it to our lives, Lord. We ask that the Holy Spirit do the teaching. And Lord, I know people are tired as this is many weeks now into the summer, but this is such an important topic and I pray that your spirit just really works upon the minds and the hearts of the people who are listening. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Back when I was in college, many years ago, um, because I took, uh, have a, a degree in education, I had to take a lot of educational courses. Some of these courses that you take, and if you go on to be education majors or something yourself, you will no, uh, undoubtedly take classes in educational psychology. And we were assigned readings in this uh, class that I was taking at Olivet Nazarene University. And I don't, to be honest, I really don't remember my professor's name of this. I, I've tried and tried to think of him and I cannot think, I can see his face, I cannot remember, remember his name. But that's not unusual for those of you who know me. If I didn't have my name tag attached to my body, I'd never know who I am. So I don't remember his name, but I do remember who he had us read. And he had us read um, from many books and writings of Rudolf Dreikers uh, and also Dr. Alfred Alders, two very famous psychologists. And he taught us, uh, our professor in this class, by having us read these things, he taught us that children, many times children, Adults, too, and this is not just for children, adults, too, will often say that they understand or believe in something, but their actions 
their actions or what they do does not fit with what they understand and believe. And I'll tell you, as a teacher in, in the school systems for 25 years, and even in the nature center, and even teaching Bible lessons here at Fort, I see this over and over and over. A lot of people will say to me, oh, I believe this, or I know this, or I understand this, and you can tell by the, their actions, they have no idea what in the world. They're, they're not really on board with you. And that's sort of the scary thing about this. Um, but these two psychologists that I was talking about, Dreikers and Alders, what they said, they both said that basically the same thing. Um, we are not what we say, but we are what we do. We are not what we say, we are what we do. What does that mean? What is this getting into? Because you can say, if you're sitting in a class or something, you can say that you understand this process. But when it comes time to show for sure through a test and evaluation of some sort that you do, sometimes, you know, you find out that people don't know what they're doing. I remember distinctly one time when I was teaching school in a human anatomy physiology course talking about how the uh, kidneys work. We are specifically talking about nephrons, the functional unit of a kidney, and I thought everybody had it. I mean, everybody was saying, yes, I've got this down, I've got this down. And everybody I was asking, do you understand this aspect, do you understand this? And they were, oh yeah, oh yeah. So then I decided to do something different. I set up my room the lab portion, as like a nephron. I know some of you have no idea what a nephron is, but it's the functional unit of a kidney. And we set it up, and I had them move through like they were blood. And some of them were blood cells, some of them were um, other uh, impurities in the blood, and I had them walk through certain sections of the room and telling me, as they're doing this, what's going on. And I found out that these kids who told me, oh yeah, I, know, I understand this, I believe in this whole system, I know it, they got so lost. And it really told me, what they were saying was one thing, but what they were doing was another because they weren't really comprehending it, and I saw that. So, by observing the actions of our students or just people in general, we will know what they believe and what they understand. By observing. You can't go by what people say. You gotta do the observing. The observing is what tells us this stuff. That's the key thing as we're getting into here. And as we're talking about faith tonight, this is one of the key things that we're going to see in this whole thing. You see, as I'm talking, there are many different types of faith. Actually, there's two, not many, the two types of faith that are mentioned specifically in the Bible. Now, most of us just know, oh, we're saved by faith. Okay. I mean, that's right out of Scripture. Ephesians 2, 8, you know, we are saved by faith through grace. And so... There we go. I know what, I know what that is. So they, a lot of people are sitting here listening to me right now in this room, or if you're listening on the internet, and you're probably thinking, well, I, I have faith. I'm saved. I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, we're going to put you to the test tonight. Because a lot of people have the wrong kind of faith. It's something, I hate to say it, but there's something in particular with the evangelical church really seems to skim over. And we don't like to talk about this too much in the church, but it's an important topic that we understand these two different types of faith because one is a living faith. The living faith does save us, but dead faith does not. And there's two types of faith. The question is tonight, what I'm going to ask you, which one do you have? Because you might be surprised. You might be surprised. Now, to answer this question, 
Because James, the book of James, really goes into this whole thing. James explains this in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, which is going to be our text tonight and for next week. This is the text, James chapter 2. And in this chapter, starting around verse 14, we're going to start seeing James describing the two types of faith. And I'll explain why he does this, because it's important to understand why. But I want to take a look at what James is saying about two types of faith. Because there is a saving faith, there is a non-saving faith. And there's a lot of people who believe and have this non-saving faith and actually think they're going to heaven, where in reality, they are not. Yeah, this gets scary. Because what we're talking about tonight has eternal consequences to it. What type of faith do you have? So let's take a look. To understand this, I want to go back to the original Greek as much as I possibly can, so I'm going to use the interlinear Bible. The interlinear Bible goes back to the actual Greek, and it's just the word-for-word translation out of the Greek. So here we go. From the interlinear translation, I'm going to do James chapter 2, 14 through 20. You can have your Bibles open to the same passage and mark things however you wish, but this is what we're talking about. So here it is in the interlinear Bible. It says, my brothers... What is the gain if anyone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Is faith able to save him? But if a brother or a sister is naked and may be lacking in daily food, and any one of you say to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but does not give them the things that the body needs, what gain is it? so also faith. If it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by from my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. But are you willing to know, O vain man, that faith apart from works is dead? There are two types of faith. There's a living faith. There's a dead faith. Which one do you have? Now, to understand this, and we're just going to barely get into this tonight, but I'm going to try to define these two types of faith tonight. That's my goal. There is a faith that is called dead. James specifically called it over and over dead. He, He says it right in there. There's a dead faith. And you can tell it's in the negative. You don't want to have that kind of faith. That's not the kind of faith that we want. And that's what he's talking about. So what does this mean? What is this dead faith? Simply, this is it. This is really important. It is possible. It is possible to believe in God. To believe in Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. To believe in the teachings of Jesus to believe in the cross and the action of the cross, what took place at the cross, and to believe in the resurrection and never be saved, never have eternal life. Did you get that? You can believe in all of that stuff. You can believe that Jesus is the Messiah and not have eternal life. You can believe in what Christ did on the cross, how he died for the entire world and for sinners, that his blood was shed, that he was the Lamb of God, 
and still not be saved. You can believe that Jesus was put into the grave and rose again on the third day and still not be saved if you have dead faith. This is scary stuff. It really is. So if James is talking about this, let's get into a little bit about who in the world is James because that's an important aspect of this. If we're going to study right out of his book on this, let's find out a little bit about James. So I don't know what you know about James, but I'm just going to give you a little thumbnail here of information about James, the guy who wrote this book. First of all, he was a brother, uh, a non-believing brother of Jesus. When Jesus was doing his ministry, he was a skeptic. Um, he even, uh, he's talked about in a couple of the gospels that he was not a believer. He did not, <laughs> he thought Jesus was downgrading and, and, and embarrassing the family. He was not a believer. Then after Jesus was crucified, then the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his brother James and was like, do you believe in me now? And of course, James did. James now is so sold out that Jesus is the Savior of the world that he actually uh, becomes the first leader of the Christian church. No, it was not Peter. Some denominations teach that Peter was the first leader of the Christian church. No, go back and read the book of Acts, and you will see that the disciples and Paul and everybody, they went to seek James' advice at the church. And James was the ruler, basically the head person at the church. It was James, not Peter. Matter of fact, Peter gets in trouble a couple of times uh, in these early church services in, um, for being a hypocrite at times. But James is the first leader of the Christian church. And from what we understand, he wrote his book, this little book here, about 10 years after the resurrection. It was one of the earliest books of the New Testament ever written, possibly the first book ever written. And he wrote that 10 years, and we'll talk about the purpose of this, why did he write it, but he died a martyr's death in 62 AD, before the temple was destroyed. James was brought up to the pinnacle of the temple uh, for being a Christian and leading the Christian church, and they brought him up there, and at sword point, they forced him to the very edge and said, you know, to renounce Jesus, and instead of renouncing Jesus and saying that everything he said was wrong, G uh, James goes into a sermon and starts preaching about the glorious God, and they realize what he's doing, and so they just pushed him off. He fell down, broke practically every bone in his body. It did not kill him. Then they came over and started clubbing him and stoning him to death. And someone finally just went up and bashed in his brains. And that's how he died. So that's the James of the story, of the book. He died a martyr's death in 62. But he wrote this book. This book was written for Jewish convert Christians. Now, you need to understand the audience and what's going on here. Because there's a lot of people who say that James and Paul disagree on faith. No, they don't. And I'm going to talk more about that next week. They don't. They actually are standing on the same ground. But their audiences are different. James is specifically talking to Christians that were Jews that have converted. And um, he wrote to these Jewish Christians who were attending churches in house church. They had house churches all through the, they're scattered all through the Roman Empire because of the Jewish um, diaspora, which the Jewish scattering that took place uh, back in ancient times. Jewish people were scattered all over the country, all over the Roman Empire. And so they started meeting and James writes this letter to these Jewish Christians that's the audience. Jewish Christians. These are Christians. 
but they have a Jewish background, and that makes a big difference, too, in a lot of this. So that's where we, we come across with this whole thing. Now, what James is telling us in his book, it's a guide on what a true Christian is. That's what the, this book, the epistle of James is. It's a guidebook on what makes a real Christian a Christian. How do you know a real Christian? This is the book. It's a very short book. You can read it in about 20 minutes, if that. The average person could easily read this book in 20 minutes. It is a phenomenal book, and it gives us many examples on how to live. Because of this, and because of the wisdom imparted in this book, it is often called by Bible scholars the Proverbs of the New Testament. It is so full of wisdom. Little short, little just pieces of information that sometimes don't seem to, to all tie together very tightly, uh, but because he's, he's giving us so much information, and he's doing doing it so quickly, but that's what it is. Now, Jewish Christians in the church at this time, this is 10 years after the resurrection, the Jewish Christians were having a problem with their Christian faith. Now, why would they be having a problem with the Christian faith it has to do with their background of what it was like to be a Jew and what was being taught by the Pharisees, among others, um, before they became Christians, what was being taught to Judaism um, through this whole thing. Now, what they had been doing, what they had been taught was that the Jews with this orthodox faith that they had was focusing on salvation by one, being a descendant, a direct descendant of Abraham. If you were a direct descendant of Abraham, if you could trace your lineage back, wow, that, that helped in your salvation. Not only that, if you performed the sacrifices, taking the right sacrifice to the temple at the right time, that helped you with salvation. If you observed the ceremonies that take place in the Jewish calendar, that helped add weight to your salvation. If you gave alms, to the poor. You could actually earn your salvation by doing these works. If you see a poor person, by adding, this is actually in the Mishnah, the Jewish oral tradition, that if you could pay, if you give people who are poor uh, out of your supply, you actually earn bonus points to go to heaven, is what was basically taught. So they were learning all of this kind of stuff, and that's what was being taught to them of how to get to eternal life, and it was basically do this, do that, do this, do that, do that, do this this action, do that deed, do that work, that's how you get saved. And that's what they grew up with. That was the Jewish way. Now, it's not the exact way that God designed. The Pharisees really messed this up. They added so many different rules and stuff, and that is not like, really? Where in the scripture do you see giving alms to the poor adds to salvation? There is no place in scripture. It was things that they added to it. So they started doing this, and it messed up a lot of people. But that's what the Jews, you've got to think now, that's what the Jews were used to. And then comes Jesus. And Jesus' message is a little bit different because he preaches repentance. You need to repent and believe in him to save you. That's how you're saved. Do you see how different this is? This is a 120 degree turn. Actually, more like 180 degree. We're totally coming about. Here, with the Jewish way, it's work, doing work, doing work, doing work, doing work, and all these kind of actions. Jesus says, no, it's none of that. You're saved if you repent and believe in me. Wait a minute, I don't have to do anything? No. So doing the sacrifices doesn't save me? No. Giving money to the poor doesn't save me? No. Following the ceremonies, that actually doesn't save me? No. Jesus says, repent, that's his message, repent and believe in me. 
Now, that's what the Jewish Christians are getting. Do you understand what this is doing to them? The mind thought? They have spent their whole life, if you're a Jew back at this time period, you have been raised from little child all the way through that it's by earning, you earn salvation by what you do. Now, all of a sudden, this Messiah guy comes along and says, no, you earn through repenting and just believing. That's a lot easier. And that's where they started to get messed up. That was the problem that they were having. Because it's the exact opposite of what the Jews have been taught for centuries. The exact opposite. That's what Jesus comes and does. So this is a totally, do you understand how being a Jew and believing this, how you're going to love to have this type of salvation? Because you don't have to go to the temple and do the sacrifices. Pretty soon the temple's going to be destroyed anyway. You don't have to keep doing that and having to buy lambs and stuff and go in there. Have your money changed and stuff like that. You don't have to make the pilgrimage uh, to, to like uh, Jerusalem three times a year to the temple. You don't have to do all these works and stuff because now all you have to do is just repent and believe. Wow, this is good news. This is great stuff. And that's what the Jews thought. But they made a problem out of this. I mean, this is the truth. What, what Jesus is saying is the absolute truth. The problem came because of what they had experienced in the past and what this now meant. They didn't quite catch it. Because now they hear that doing deeds and works are not necessary. We're saved by faith alone. And the result of this, here it is. Jewish Christians in the church just thought that by believing, that's all they had to do. Just believe. Oh, wait a minute, Michael. Isn't that really the way we are saved? By believing? Well, James tells us that there's two types of faith. There's a saving faith and there's a dead faith. One type does save. The other type does not and he was talking to this, his churches who had the wrong kind of faith. Now, here's the secret. In verse 14, let's look at what verse 14 says. What is gained if anyone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Is faith able to save him? Also, in verse 17, he writes, faith, if it does not have works, is dead. In verse 20, he says, that faith apart from works is dead. So there's definitely a dead type of faith. Now here's, here's how this is explained. So hope you're paying attention because this is really important to understand. There is a faith that does not save. And I'll tell you, to be totally honest, I bet there are people listening to me right now that think they have the saving faith, and I bet they don't. I would not be too surprised if there's people in this room, and I definitely would not be surprised if people are listening on the internet have the wrong kind. They think they have the right kind, and you'll find out you don't. So, this is so important because this is going to determine if you're really saved or not. If you went up to a person and said, Hey, are you a Christian? And the person says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. We've all done that, right? You ever go up to somebody? Hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. 
Now, how do you know that? How do you know that they're a Christian? You see, faith is invisible. You can't see faith. Nobody can see it. It's an invisible thing. Can you give me some proof you're a Christian? What do you mean, proof? How am I supposed to give proof? What is, what, what is proof? What kind of proof? Well, James is saying you should be able to. James tells us that the proof, if you have the right faith, it's going to yield something. The proof lies in your transformed life. Has your life been transformed by the Holy Spirit? Because I'm going to tell you, if it hasn't, you might have dead faith. And I'll tell you, that scares me to death. That to think that there are people in this room just sitting here right now or sitting on the internet listening to this and thinking, oh, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven. This is ridiculous. I don't need any of this kind of message here tonight. Just hurry up and get done, Michael, so I can go out and do whatever I need to do. God forbid we think like that because this is really important. Do you have the right kind of faith? Can you prove that you're a Christian? You see, when you become a Christian and believe in Jesus as your Lord, you are doing more than just making a proclamation. A lot of people, that's the extent of their faith. But they just, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And that's as far as it goes. They're just making a, a declaration or a proclamation as to it. You see what the word belief is. We said to believe in Jesus. What does that mean? Now, believe is a difficult word to translate from the Greek into English. The Greek word is pistuo, and it's not exactly the same word in English, though it's often translated as belief. It's not exactly the same word in English because pistuo is more. It means to commit to and to put your trust in. It's not head knowledge. Do you understand that? Because this is extremely important. You might get asked a more important question in the next year than what I'm asking you right now. What type of faith do you have? Do you have head knowledge faith? Or do you have faith that is pistuo, commitment and trust in? You see, you can sit here and have all the facts about Jesus. You can sit here. Matter of fact, you could go stand on a platform or stand up in a church and you can say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he came down here to earth to save mankind. I believe that he died for all the men and women in this world. I believe that his blood was shed on the cross to cover my sins. I believe that Jesus was crucified for me. I believe that Jesus was risen again to prove that he is God and that everything he said was true. And I believe that he ascended into heaven and is now with God. And you know something? If that's what you have and that's all you have, that's not enough to be saved. That is not enough to be saved. If it's just facts that you know, you believe they're true. But if that's as far as your faith goes, just in that, you might not be saved. You might not be going to heaven. 
And I do believe, I strongly believe, that there are many people in this world today that are walking around with that set of facts in their head and telling people that they're a Christian, and when they get to heaven and come up to God's throne and God says, why should I let you in here? Well, I know that you're God. I know this and this. And Jesus, as it says in a parable, will say to them when they came to him and said, well, Lord, we did this in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name. We preached in your name. And Jesus says, depart. I never knew you. Because that's going to happen. Will you be standing there? Is he talking about you at that point? Because if so... That is really sad. That's terrible. There are many mistakenly believing that because they have this head knowledge, they know the facts that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died and he rose again to save them, and they think that's it. I'm going to heaven. And they're not. That is not enough. Let me show you. What does James say in verse 19? You believe that God is one. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. What I just listed, all those facts, every one of the demons knows every one of those. Do you think they're going to heaven? They know Jesus. Matter of fact, every time Jesus came walking by, they were terrified. It says they would many times scream and call out, Jesus, don't torture us. They knew who he was. And I love this, folks, because I'll tell you, this is something that really disturbs me today. The demons believe this and they shudder. They hear the name of Jesus. It makes them shudder, shake, just absolutely shaking in absolute terror just to hear the name of Jesus. But today, today we talk about Jesus and we use the name Jesus. We talk about God and we just do it with such disrespect. We shouldn't be doing that. I'm telling you. We could learn something from demons because they know how to react when they come across Christ. But no, we have a lot of people today use the name of Jesus in vain all the time. Demons shuddered around him. That type of belief is common to Satan and his demons. And they shudder. When a person becomes a true Christian, by repentance, what Jesus said, repent, by repentance, the trust and commit, that's the word believe, pishduo, that's the word believe. Repent, trust, and commit. God places his Holy Spirit inside of us. And when he places his Holy Spirit inside of us, it dwells in us. You're not going to be the same. Do you understand that God puts his spirit inside of us just like back in the days of the tabernacle when they set it up and the Ark of the Covenant was there and God's spirit was manifest and his spirit appeared there? That same spirit is living inside of you when you repent, trust, and commit to Christ? His spirit, the spirit of the living God, the spirit of the one who could split a rock and have water come out, the Spirit of God that could do any type of miraculous thing lives inside of you? Because true Christians get that. It's not like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't have the Spirit actually inside of me. That's, that's not even possible. 
If you are a true Christian, if you have repented and you have put your trust and commitment in God, his spirit lives in you. That's a promise that he makes to us. Look in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You are like the tabernacle. God's spirit is dwelling. That's what the word tabernacle means, to dwell with. You are the tabernacle now of God. God's spirit is living inside of you. We don't need a temple today. We don't need the temple with the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because God's spirit is living inside of you, like it used to be in the temple, and it used to be in the tabernacle. You are the tabernacle today. That's what this is talking about, and this is a promise from God. That's what this is about. And, and look what happens when the Spirit of God comes inside of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, the old life has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's what we're getting. We're no longer the same person. Do you understand this now? When you become a Christian, you're not the same as you were before. And with having, being, coming the tabernacle with God's spirit inside of you, you're going to act differently because his spirit is going to be powering you to do that. So you become a new creation. That is really cool. That is great news. If your faith, that repentance, that trust and commitment in Jesus that saved you, if that is your faith, you think, but something important is supposed to happen to you, and if it doesn't happen to you, then there's something not right. If you are saved, the Spirit comes inside of you, and you are different. When a person is saved, they are changed. So, if you are claiming to be a Christian, and yet you live your life the exact same way you always did beforehand, something's not right. You might not have the right faith is what it comes down to. And this is very, very important. It's really simple. It is these changes. This is what James is talking about. It's these changes in you that will show in your life from the moment on, there is the proof. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Prove it. Let me tell you what God has done, how I used to be and how I am today. There you go. Now, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to judge people here or anything, but I am trying to help you evaluate what's going on in your spiritual life. I'm allowed to do that. Let me tell you a story. Time for story time. A lot of people like story time. I used to teach at a school called Stewart Elementary School. And, yeah, I used to teach elementary school. I'm sure there's kids in therapy today, um, or adults in therapy today from having me as their teacher in elementary school. But anyway, um, as the story goes, I was asked one time in class, I was asked a very interesting question by f some of my students. They started on, on one day, they were saying, you know, well, you know what, what do you got to do to get to heaven and stuff? And so I was, uh, as I answered this question, I was talking about explain salvation through Jesus Christ, through uh, the repentance, commitment, trust in Jesus. So I did that. Well, what um, ended up happening 
there was a guy in the class, I won't say his name, but there was a guy in the class who said, oh, I did that. When, back when uh, last year I went to a VBS program in somebody's backyard and I actually uh, recited this, this prayer that they gave me on this card and I, I recited it. And so I'm a Christian. I'm going to, to heaven and um, I, I can live however I want now. And everybody looked at me and he says, is that right? <laughs> well, I said, I'm not going to judge him. But I will tell you right now, this kid who said that was the most mean kid in the school. He was the most obnoxious student in the school. There wasn't anybody in the school that was like him for troublemaking and stuff. He led the pack on it. And all I can say right now is I didn't see any evidence of the Holy Spirit living inside this guy. Now, I'm not judging him, but I am allowed to evaluate I'm not saying, okay, you're going to hell. I'm not doing the judge. But I can evaluate and say, something doesn't jive with what he says in the way that he lives. That's the way it goes. And so we see people like this all the time. By the way, do you know that salvation prayer that we often call the sinner's prayer? Do you know it's not even in the Bible? It's not in there. Try and find it. It's not in there. But I know many people. I even know of a person here last week who believes that's because he simply recited these words on a card, he's going to heaven. You think Satan and his demons don't know and don't think that that stuff on that card is true? But they're not repentant and they're not trusting Christ to save them. There's a lot of people, I believe, in our church today, they're going to be really surprised when they get to heaven and Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you. And it's going to be a sad day. Many people think that if you recite this, what you can do then is you can live your life however you want. This is what this guy said. He actually said, if we talk more, he says, no, I recited on the card, so I can't possibly go to hell. So that means I can do whatever I want. I can live my life the way I want. His face, was, I would say, was probably dead. You don't get saved for an insurance policy to keep you out of hell and think you can just live your life the way you want. That's not, that's not the right kind of faith. That's the wrong kind of faith. A truly saved individual who has repented has the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of him, and that person is going to be transformed. Paul uses the word, the Greek word metamorpho, which is where we get the word metamorphosis, like when a caterpillar turns to a butterfly, it's totally different. How a tadpole turns into a frog, totally different. When a person who is an unsaved person becomes a Christian, he's totally different. There's a transformation that goes on. Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And how do we do that? It's because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. That's why we're able to do that. A born-again Christian is going to be living a different life than what they did before they became a Christian. And this new life will yield works and deeds. Your behavior will be different. Your thoughts will be different. Your language is going to be different because the Holy Spirit is going to start making changes in you, conforming you to be more like Christ. And that is the evidence of being saved. Are you thinking now about the moment you thought you got saved, what your life was like before that, to how it is now? Do you see evidence of the Spirit living inside of you? I'm not your judge. I'm not going to sit here and try and judge you. I'm just saying, can you see it? Or maybe you have the wrong kind of faith. 
We are saved by faith. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one can boast. But now, we often learn that verse, but we forget the next one. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. That's the same word in the Greek for a masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Which God prepared beforehand. But you see, we are saved for what? For good works. Why are you saved? For good works. We are saved to do good deeds. We're not saved by doing good deeds, but we are saved to do good deeds. And look what also God tells us in Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, about these good deeds. This, will, this might shock you a little bit. God says, he will reward each one according to his works. Stop right there. You see how we're going to be judged by God? How Christians are going to be judged by God? By what you do. So, don't look at me like I don't know what I'm talking about here. I'm just reading it right out of the Bible. This is God speaking. He will reward each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who, by perseverance in good works, seek glory and honor and immorality, but wrath and anger to those who live in selfish ambition and do not obey the truth, but follow unrighteousness. We Christians are going to be, we're saved to do good works, and God is going to reward by the works that we do. We all, we automatically get eternal life. But the good things that God does through you with his spirit living inside of you, are you going to let the spirit lead you? We are not saved. If anything, catch this. And I'm going to end with this because we're, we're done here. But this is so important. We are not saved by works. This is so important. Next week I'm going to get more into this. We're not saved by works. But our salvation will show works. If you're a true Christian, you will show it and be able to prove it by the works that you do. Because it'll be God using you as a tool to perform these things. That's a living faith. So don't forget that. We're not saved by works, but our salvation will show works. Father God, we come before you right now when we just ask that your spirit, Lord, continue to teach us not just in these moments here as we are worshiping you and, and thinking about what we have just read in your words, what you have told us, but Lord, throughout the night and throughout the morning, tomorrow, that this will continually work on us, that your spirit, Lord, will continually keep helping us search because I am so afraid that there are people listening to me right now that have the dead faith, thinking that all I got to do is just recite something or just believe that Jesus is the Son of God and I'll go to heaven. And yet, Lord, you show us in the book of James, that is not true. That is a dead faith. Just having facts and head knowledge in your head does not save us. We want a true pistuo. We want to have a total commitment and trust in you. That you're going to fulfill your promise. That you are capable of saving us. That your blood will cover our sins. And Lord, we repent. Not just forgive. We ask and we say we want to repent. That we ask for your help, dear Holy Spirit, that we don't sin anymore. I know we're going to mess up because we're human, 
And you understand that also. But Lord, I pray that every day, every year in particular, we can look back and see how we have grown in you. Because you are transforming those who truly believe. We thank you for your word so we would understand these things tonight. And we ask all these wonderful things in Jesus' name. Amen.